Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, if the size of the crowd at your funeral is any indication of the impact of your life, then Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he made a tremendous impact. Because after his death on February 12, 2000, literally thousands and thousands of people gathered for a memorial service in his honor. But you know, I'm not so convinced that it's just the size of the crowd at your memorial service that's a testimony to your life, as much as what the people who were closest to you, those who knew you well, had to say about you. So I want you to listen to a few comments from people who knew Tom Landry well. Roger Staubach, first of all, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys during much of the Landry era, he said this. He said, Landry's faith was his character. He transferred that faith to his team every day. In other words, what the players saw when Tom did his job on the football field was really just a reflection of his personal faith. You know, Tom was active in supporting all sorts of evangelical Christian ministries, ministries like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and my alma mater, Dallas Theological Seminary. Another player, defensive lineman Randy White, said this about Tom Landry. He said, the thing I remember most and respect the most about Tom Landry was that he not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. The same message, the same man. Everything you see is consistent. Man, what a compliment. But you know, I think the greatest statement about Tom Landry, it actually came from his son, Tom Landry Jr. Listen to this. He said, I am the luckiest person in the world. And there's one reason for that. The finest person I have ever known happens to be my father. Wow. You talk about leaving a legacy. I mean, how many of you men actually believe that your son, and I'm not talking about your three-year-old son, okay? But how many of you believe that your son, when he's an adult, he'll say of you, the finest person I've ever known happens to be my dad. And what an incredible statement. Moms, how many of your grown daughters will one day say, the finest person I've ever known happens to be my mother? Now, most people can project a public persona to outsiders. It's a bit more positive than they truly are. But if our family, like those who see us every day in good times and bad times, if they would say of us, he or she was the greatest person I've ever known, what a testimony to a life well lived. Well, this morning, we are wrapping up our study of the book of Joshua And I know we've jumped over a number of chapters in the book, but that's because they're just generic accounts of conquests and some lengthy lists of the names of the various tribes and clans and territories that were allotted to them. But as we come to the end of the book of Joshua, there's something key we need to pay attention to. It's how a person finishes life well. Now, I know some of you aren't thinking about finishing at all. You're thinking, Brian, I'm just getting started. But you need to understand that finishing well 
has more to do with what you do today than it does what you will do then. The end of your life will be summed up in a day like today. And here's our key point this morning. The beliefs you hold and choices you make today will be your legacy. Let me say that again. The beliefs you hold and the choices you make today will be your legacy. Now, in Joshua 23, we find the first of two farewell speeches given by Joshua toward the end of his lifetime. And I want to begin with the first speech in Joshua 23 and verse 1. It says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. Okay, pause here for just a second. We know from other passages that Joshua lived to be 110 years old. And this speech would have taken place about 20 to 25 years after all the major military victories had occurred. So the Israelites, they've had time to lay down their swords, move into the cities they'd captured and settle down. They now have their houses and their businesses and they're raising kids and just getting on with life as normal. But then in the midst of normal everyday life, there emerges this ex-commander-in-chief, this incredible military leader. And he comes back onto the scene just before he goes home to be with the Lord to remind everybody how to finish their life well. Verse six, be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given to you. Okay, here, Joshua lays out the first principle to finishing well. Each day, live a no-compromise lifestyle. Each and every day, live a no-compromise lifestyle. See, Joshua warns the people about turning to the left or turning to the right from God's ways because the biggest enemy of finishing well, it's the enemy of compromise. And folks, the temptations to compromise were all around the Israelites because there were still pockets of people who worshiped these pagan gods. And you may ask, well, what would be the attraction for the Israelites to associate with these pagan people and their gods? Well, first of all, there would be economic reasons. Like if you're living in an agrarian culture and it doesn't rain, what do you do? Well, you pray to God. And then if it still doesn't rain, okay, what do you do then? Well, the Canaanites had a plan. 
See, they had several deities you could pray to. So if I pray to my God, and I also pray to their gods, then maybe it'll increase my odds and help me out. And also, if you want to strike up business deals with the Canaanites, then customer relations is important, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to offend them by spurning their gods. And so acknowledging their gods was just good business practice. You know, Christian businessmen today fall into a similar temptation. I mean, not that they'll bow down to an actual wooden idol, but they may compromise their ethics. They may bow down to the values, the principles that this world operates on, rather than staying true to the biblical standards that God prescribes. Right, a second thing the Canaanites had going for them was they figured out real quick how to get men to go to church. You see, alcohol and sex, sexual immorality, was a major part of the pagan worship rituals. And this sensual pleasure in the name of God enticed a whole bunch of them to compromise their values and go to the pagan temples. And I'm sure the people thought, hey, maybe I'll worship these other gods because their worship services are pretty exciting. Right? The enemy's crafty, isn't he? So basically, the Israelites were tempted to compromise in many of the same ways that we are today. Think about it, financially, sexually, spiritually. But God warned them, even as he warns us today, don't get caught up in the world's ways. The world's ways may look real tempting in the short term, but they'll ruin your life in the long run. You know, there's also a strong lesson in this passage for single adults and teenagers entering in to some form of a romantic relationship. See, God warns his people not to ally themselves or intermarry with the nations around them because they could be easily led astray. So single people, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because if you allow yourself to become romantically involved with someone who doesn't share your Christian values, what you believe to be the ultimate realities of life, then you're headed down the road of compromise. And you'll struggle not to compromise the highest priorities in your life. So you want to finish well, and you need to commit yourself to a no-compromise lifestyle. All right, let's skip over to Joshua's second speech in chapter 24, and we'll uncover two more principles for finishing well. Here, Joshua reminds the people to acknowledge God's work in your life. Acknowledge God's work in your life. Joshua again summons the leaders of Israel, and he begins with a little history lesson. This is Joshua 24 and verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt." Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians." 
Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Okay, I know that was a long passage, but I read all that on purpose because I want you to see this. Did did you catch the repeated emphasis here? God is trying to communicate something vitally important to his people, that he was the one behind all their successes. You know, I counted 20 times in this passage where God says to Israel, I did this for you. I did it. Why? Well, because whenever we succeed in life, we tend to take all the credit. I mean, that's just our nature. Now, granted, the Israelites did have to put some sweat equity into this. They fought the battles. They occupied the land. But if it hadn't been for God, They would have been crushed by Pharaoh's army, starved in the wilderness, and been soundly defeated by the more advanced Canaanite civilization. I mean, only God's hand could have given them the houses they lived in, the vineyards they ate from. And you want to know something? The same thing is true of you and me today. You know, sometimes we say, boy, I sure have done a lot to get to where I am today. I'm like a self-made man. Well, the reality is if God hadn't been there, every step of the way with you, the blessings that you're experiencing wouldn't be yours. Like, you didn't choose to be born in this amazing country, did you? There are a lot of other places in the world that you could have been born. And think about it, all your physical characteristics, all of your mental characteristics, you didn't craft those things. God did. He gave you all of your potential. And throughout the course of our lifetime, I'm sure God is busy working behind the scenes in ways we can't even begin to comprehend, like protecting us from danger, opening doors of opportunity, doing all kinds of things we won't know about until we get to heaven one day. And I think we're all going to go, wow, wow, God. I guess I wasn't the key player here. It was you all along, Lord. And I would say we bring glory to God when we acknowledge his working in our life but it also strengthens our faith in him. It leads us to trust him for even greater things in the future. And that brings us to our final principle for finishing well. Joshua calls on the people to make a public commitment to follow God. Make a public commitment to follow God. Take a look at verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua is asking them to choose. Why? Because he understands that life is not by chance, it's by choice. Now, some people believe life is just this series of circumstances that come our way, either by God or chance, and we're just subject to all those things. That's not true. Folks, life is choosing to follow a particular course of action. And when circumstances come your way, you incorporate those into your plan. But ultimately, you choose. It's part of the freedom your creator invested in you. And not to choose is to choose. So Joshua calls on the people to choose. And I want you to notice how important this decision is. If you look back at chapter 23 again in verse 8, there's an interesting word in the Hebrew text. Joshua 23.8 says this, But you are to hold fast, hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now this word, hold fast, it's the Hebrew word debak, and it's the same word as the word cleave that we first encounter in Genesis chapter 2. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You see, it's this concept of two people hanging on to each other. God says they become one flesh. They stick together permanently. They're no longer two, they're one. Okay, that's this Hebrew word, hold fast or cleave. Now, in Joshua 23, 12, we find this same word again. Verse 12 says, but if you turn away and ally yourselves, there's the word, ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations. Okay, that word ally here, it's the same word as cleave or hold fast. In other words, Joshua is saying you need to make a choice because you're either going to be one with God, cleaving to him, allying with him, or you're going to be one with the pagan people around you. And I know some people want to say, well, I'm kind of in the middle, I think. You know, some parts of me are hanging on over here, and I kind of like those, but I'm mostly hanging on to you, God. I'm, I'm mostly hanging on to you. Well, try and transfer that concept into the context of Genesis chapter 2 like the husband and wife cleaving to each other. Men, if you were to say to your wife, listen, dear, I am mostly cleaving to you. I'm mostly hanging on to you. But, you know, I have this other lady over here, and I'm kind of hanging on to her as well. But I'm mostly with you. But part of me is with her too. Now, what would your spouse say? Well, after she smacks you, she's going to say, listen, buddy, who are you going to be with? You got to choose. I mean, either you're committed to me or you're not really in this at all. You're not really holding fast. You're not really committed to me. And God is kind of saying the same thing here. Listen, to say you're really committed to me, but still hang on to worldly ways, that's not real commitment. And Joshua knew people will never finish well if they have two mistresses in their life. So he calls on them to make a wholehearted commitment. And he gives them an option, doesn't he? He says, you guys can follow after those pagan gods, you know, the ones we beat in battle, or you can follow me and the Lord. And in verse 16, the people answer. It says this, the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now, I want you to catch this. This is pretty interesting. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Whoa. Pause there. What in the world is Joshua saying here? What's he doing? I think he's calling their hand, isn't he? He's saying, yeah, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm committed. It's another thing to truly be committed. And he warns there are serious consequences to not being committed to God. He wants them to count the cost of their commitment. I read a true story about three military recruiters who showed up at a high school to address some graduating seniors. And they were there to articulate to these young men and women the options and benefits that military service would provide for them. And the meeting, it was scheduled to last for 45 minutes. And each recruiter representing the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps was to have 15 minutes apiece. But the Army and Navy recruiters, they got a little carried away. So when it came time for the Marine to speak, he only had two minutes. Well, he walked up to the front of the room with just two minutes to make his pitch. And he just stood there, utterly silent for a full 60 seconds, half of his time, just staring at the students in that room. And when he finally spoke up, he said this. He said, you know, I doubt there are two or three of you in this room who could even cut it in the Marine Corps. I want to see those two or three in the dining hall immediately after we're dismissed. Then he turned around and sat back down. When he arrived in the dining hall, Afterwards, a mob of students was waiting for him there. They acted without delay. You see, he challenged the heroic dimension in their heart. And so went the response of the people here. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. You know, the people didn't just make a commitment in their heart, did they? Joshua had them make a formal 
public commitment to declare openly they were going to serve the Lord. And then he said to them, okay, your witnesses against yourselves. I mean, even the stone here has heard the words you said. In other words, there's no pleading the fifth in the future. Your own words will condemn you if you turn from God now. And you know, that was the cultural thing to do back then, monument stones. Today in our culture, when we make a commitment, what do we do? Like if you buy a home, you visit the mortgage and title companies, what do they want you to do a million times over? <laughs> sign your name, right? Sign your name, sign your name, sign your name. That's our cultural expression to say publicly that we are committed to something. And if you think about it, that's what baptism is all about in the life of a Christian. It's going public and identifying yourself with Christ. Just a few months back, we had eight teenagers who went public with their faith and were baptized. It's totally awesome. It's so encouraging to see the next generation committing to Jesus. But you know what? Baptism isn't just for young people. We actually have a 74-year-old gentleman from our Sun City campus, Gary Fierce, who for two years was desperately wanting to go public. He wanted to be baptized. But a combination of significant health issues, being handicapped and in a wheelchair and the coronavirus kept getting in the way over and over again. But Gary and a group of his friends, they were determined. They were committed to make it happen. And finally, on September 17th, 2020, his dream came true. I want you to check this out. All right, Gary, are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. I'm so proud of you, brother. I love you. And I'm just thrilled to be able to baptize you, Gary, my brother in the Lord, in the name of the Father and of the Son. Let's go down. You ready? Yep. I'm okay. good control. And the Holy oh, Spirit. Hey. Hey. You did it. Woo I love you so you much. You did it. You did it, my friend. Boy, isn't that inspiring? Folks, here's the power of a public commitment. You know, if you say in your heart, this is my intention, but don't tell anybody about it, then you're the only one who can hold yourself accountable, right? That's kind of a weak position to be in. It's like going on a diet, right? It's one thing to say in your mind, I am going on a diet. It's another thing to share that with others who can hold you accountable. See, when you go public with a commitment, it tells others, hey, I want you to remind me when I get off track because I need all the help I can get. You know, here's a truth for you that flies in the face of some people's firmly held beliefs. Private Christianity is not biblical Christianity. You don't see that in this book right here. Private Christianity is not biblical Christianity. So Joshua calls all these people into a public setting to make their statement of commitment because there's great power in making a public commitment. Let me just close with this. What kind of legacy do you want to leave when you're gone? If you want to finish well, then starting today, live a no-compromise lifestyle, acknowledge God's work in your life, and go public with your faith. Live the kind of life Joshua lived, the kind of life Tom Landry lived, the kind of life the Apostle Paul lived. As he was preparing himself to feel the acts of the executioner, the Apostle Paul spoke these words in 2 Timothy 4.7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
If you were to breathe your last breath today, would you be able to say, I've finished the race well. I've done my best to serve Jesus. Or would you have to say, "Eh, my life has been a life of compromise, of just getting by. Remember, the beliefs you hold and the choices you make today will be your legacy. So let the words of Joshua echo in your mind this morning. You can do whatever you want to do. You can choose to serve whoever you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we just acknowledge to you that life is short. And the way we finish this life one day, it's going to be determined by how we live our lives today. Lord, would you help us to finish well? That when we set foot in heaven, we could hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, we know we need your help, the help of your spirit to do this, to make a public commitment to you and to follow through no matter the cost, to not compromise, to not turn to the left or the right of what is true, regardless of how the culture around us might tempt us to do so. Lord, we need your help. And so we ask for strength this morning that you would lead us and you would guide us so that we could finish well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.